Chapter 2 Colonel James Robbins gazed down at the rotted, exhumed body on the morgue slab for a minute, taking in the decay of the body from more than one year under the dirt. He noted the ruined skull, fatally misshaped by the shotgun blast that carried away its top third, along with the life of its owner, the man who might have betrayed humanity to three alien races. Then he looked up at Captain Winters, Phoenix Station's medical examiner. Tell me this is Dr. Boutin's body, Colonel Robin said. Well, it is, said Winters, and yet it's not. You know, Ted, that's exactly the sort of qualified statement that's going to get my ass reamed when I report to General Matson, Colonel Robin said. I don't suppose you'd like to be more forthcoming. Sorry, Jim, Captain Winters said, and pointed to the corpse on the table. Genetically speaking, that's your man, Winters said. Dr. Boutin was a colonist, which meant he's never been swapped into a military body. This means that his body has all his original DNA. I did the standard genetics testing. This body has Boutin's DNA. And just for fun, I did a mitochondrial RNA test as well. That matched, too. So what's the problem? Robbins asked. The problem is with bone growth, Winters said. In the real universe, human bone growth fluctuates based on environmental factors like nutrition or exercise. If you spend time on a high-gravity world and then move to one with lower gravity, that's going to influence how your bones grow. If you break a bone, that's going to show up, too. Your entire life history shows up in bone development. Winters reached over and picked up part of the corpse's left leg, which had been sheared from the rest of the body, and pointed to the cross-section of the femur visible there. This body's bone development is exceptionally regular. There's no record of environmental or accidental events on its development, just a pattern of bone growth consistent with excellent nutrition and low stress. Bhutan was from Phoenix, Robin said. It's been colonized for 200 years. It's not like he grew up on a backwater colony where they're struggling to feed and protect themselves. Maybe not. But it still doesn't match up, Winters said. You can live in the most civilized place in human space and still fall down a flight of stairs or break a bone playing sports. It's possible that you can get through life without even a green stick fracture, but do you know anyone who's done it? Robbins shook his head. Well, this guy did. But actually, he didn't, since his medical records show he broke his leg. This leg. Winters shook the chunk of leg. When he was 16, skiing accident, collided with a boulder and broke his femur and his tibia, the record of that isn't here. Well, I hear medical technology is good these days, Robin said. Oh, it is excellent, thank you very much, Winters said. But it's not magic. You don't snap a femur and not leave a mark. And even getting through life without breaking a bone doesn't explain the consistently regular bone development. The only way you're going to get this sort of bone development is if it develops without environmental stress of any kind. Bhutan would have had to live his life in a box... Or a cloning crash, Robin said. Or a cloning crash, Winters agreed. The other possible explanation is that your friend here had his leg amputated at some point and had a new one grown, but I checked his records. That didn't happen. But just to be sure, I took bone samples from his ribs, his pelvis, his arm, and his skull. The undamaged portion, anyway. All these samples showed unnaturally consistent regular bone growth. You've got yourself a cloned body here, Jim. Then Charles Boutin is still alive, Robin said. 
And I don't know, Winters said. But this isn't him. The only good news here is that by all physical indications, this clone was vatted right up until just before it died. It's extremely unlikely it was ever awake, or even if it was, that it was conscious and aware. Imagine waking up and finding your first and last view of the world was a shotgun barrel. That'd be a hell of a life. So if Bhutan's still alive, he's also a murderer, Robin said. Winters shrugged and set down the leg. You tell me, Jim, he said. The Colonial Defense Forces makes bodies all the time. We create modified super bodies to give to our new recruits, and then when their service is through, we give them new normal bodies cloned from their original DNA. Do those bodies really have rights before we put consciousness into them? Each time we transfer their consciousness, we leave a body behind. A body that used to have a mind. Do those bodies have rights? If they do, we're all in trouble, because we dispose of them pretty damn quick. Do you know what we do with all those used bodies, Jim? I don't, Robbins admitted. We mulch them, Winters said. There are too many to bury. So we grind them up, sterilize the remains, and turn them into plant fertilizer. Then we send the fertilizer to new colonies. Helps to acclimate the soil to the crops humans plant. You could say our new colonies live off the bodies of the dead. Only they're not really the bodies of the dead. They're just the cast-off bodies of the living. The only time we actually bury a body is when a mind dies inside of it. Uh, think about taking some time off, Ted, Robin said. Your job is making you morbid. That's not the job that makes me morbid, Winter said, and pointed to the remains of not Charles Boutin. What do you want me to do with this? I want you to have it reinterred, Robin said. But it's not Charles Boutin, Winter said. No, it's not, Robbins agreed. But if Charles Boutin is still alive, I don't want him to know we know that. He looked back at the body on the slab. And whether this body knew what was happening to it or not, it deserved better than what it got. A burial is the least we can do. Ah, oh, goddamn Charles Boutin, General Greg Matson said and kicked up his feet on his desk. Colonel Robbins stood at the other side of the desk and said nothing. General Matson disconcerted him, as he always had. Matson had been the head of the Colonial Defense Forces military research arm for almost thirty years, but like all CDF military personnel, had a military-issued body that resisted aging. He looked, as did all CDF personnel, no more than twenty-five years old. Colonel Robbins was of the opinion that as people advanced in rank through the CDF, they should be made to appear to age slightly. A general who looked twenty-five years old lacked a certain gravitas. Robbins briefly imagined Matson appearing to be his true age, which had to be somewhere in the vicinity of one hundred twenty-five years old. His mind's eye saw something like a scrotal wrinkle in a uniform. This would be amusing to Robbins, save for the fact that at ninety years of age himself, he wouldn't look all that much better. Then there was the matter of the other general in the room, who, if his body showed his real age, would almost certainly look younger than he already did. Special forces disconcerted Robbins even more than regular CDF. There was something not quite right about people being three years old, fully grown, and totally lethal. Not that this general was three— he was probably a teenager. 
So our array friend told us the truth, General Sellard said, from his own seat in front of the desk. Your former head of consciousness research is still alive. Blown the head off his own clone. Now that was a nice touch, General Matson said, sarcasm dripping out his voice. Those poor bastards were picking brains out of the lab equipment for a week afterward. He glanced up at Robbins. Do we know how he did that? Grow a clone? That's something you shouldn't be able to do without someone noticing. He couldn't have just whipped one up in the closet. As near as we can tell, he introduced code into the clone vat monitoring software, Robin said. Made it look like one of the clone vats was out of service to the monitors. It was taken out to be serviced. Bhutan had it decommissioned and then put it in his private lab storage area and ran it off its own server and power supply. The server wasn't hooked into the system and the vat was decommissioned, and only Bhutan had access to the storage area. So he did whip one up in the closet, Matson said. That little fucker. He must have had access to the storage area after he was presumed dead, Zillard said. Are you saying that no one thought it odd he had a clone vat in storage? Robbins opened his mouth, but Matson answered. If he was a good research head, and he was, he'd have a lot of decommissioned and surplus equipment in storage in order to tinker and optimize it without interfering with equipment that we were actually using. And I would assume that when we got to the vat, it was drained and sterilized and disconnected from the server and the power supply. That's right, Robin said. It wasn't until we got your report that we put two and two together, General Zillard. I'm glad the information was useful, Zillard said. I wish you had put two and two together earlier. I find the idea that military research had a traitor in its ranks, and as the head of an extremely sensitive division, appalling. You should have known. Robbins said nothing to this. To the extent that special forces had any reputation at all beyond its military prowess, it was that its members were profoundly lacking in tact and patience. Being three-year-old killing machines didn't leave much time for social graces. What was to know? Matson said. Bhutan never gave any indication he was turning traitor. One day he's doing his work, the next we find him a suicide in his lab, or so we thought. No note, no anything that suggests he had anything on his mind but his work. You told me earlier that Bhutan hated you, Zillard said to Matson. Bhutan did hate me, and for good reason, Matson said. And the feeling was mutual, but just because a man thinks his superior officer is a son of a bitch doesn't mean he's a traitor to his species. Matson pointed to Robbins. The colonel here doesn't particularly like me either, and he's my adjutant, but he's not going to go running to the RA or the Anisha with top-secret information. Zillard looked over at Robbins. Is it true? he said. Uh, which part, sir? Robbins said. That you don't like General Matson, Zillard said. You can take some getting used to, sir, Robin said. By which he means I'm an asshole, Matson said, with a chuckle. And that's fine. I'm not here to win popularity contests. I'm here to deliver weapons and technology. But whatever was going through Bhutan's head, I don't think I had much to do with it. So what was it then? Zillard said. Uh, you'd know better than we would, Zai, Matson said. You're the one with a pet RA scientist that you've taught to squeal. Administrator Kynan never met Bhutan personally, or so he says, Zillard said. He doesn't know anything about his motivations, just that Bhutan gave the RA information on the most recent BrainPal hardware. 
That's part of what Administrator Kynan's group was working on, trying to integrate brain-pal technology with RA brains. Just what we need, Matson said. RA with supercomputers in their heads. He didn't seem to be very successful with the integration, Robin said, and looked over to Zillard. At least not from the data your people recovered from his lab. Array brain structure is too different. Small favors, Matson said. Zai, you have to have gotten something else out of your guy. Outside of his specific work and situation, Administrator Kynan hasn't been terribly useful, Zillard said. And the few Enishans we captured alive were resistant to conversation, to use a euphemism. We know the RA, the Enisha, and the Oban are allied to attack us, but we don't know why, how, or when, or what Bhutan brings into the equation. We need your people to figure that one out, Matson. Matson nodded to Robbins. Where are we with that? he asked. Bhutan was in charge of a lot of sensitive information, Robbins said pitching his answer to Zillard. His groups handled consciousness transfer, brain power development, and body generation techniques. Any of that could be useful to an enemy, either to help it develop its own technology or to find weaknesses in ours. Bhutan himself was probably the leading expert on getting minds out of one body and into another, but there's a limit to how much of that information he could carry. Bhutan was a civilian scientist. He didn't have a brain pal. His clone had all his registered brain prostheses on him, and he's not likely to have gotten a spare. Prostheses are tightly monitored, and he'd have to spend several weeks training it. We don't have any network record of Bhutan using anything but his registered prosthesis. We're talking about a man who got a cloning vat past you, Zillard said. It's not impossible that he walked out of the lab with a store of information, Robin said, but it's very unlikely. It's more likely he left only with the knowledge in his head. And his motivations, Zillard said. Not knowing those is the most dangerous thing for us. I'm more worried about what he knows, Matson said. Even with just what's naturally in his head, that's still too much. I have teams pulled off their own projects to work on updating Brain Pal security. Whatever Bhutan does know, we're going to make obsolete. And Robbins here is in charge of combing through the data Bhutan left behind. If there's anything in there, we'll find it. I'll be meeting with Bhutan's former tech after we're done here, Robin said. Lieutenant Harry Wilson. He says he has something I might find interesting. Well, don't let us hold you up, Matson said. You're dismissed. Well, thank you, sir, Robin said. Uh, before I go, I'd like to know what sort of time constraint we're working under here. We found out about Bhutan by attacking that base. No doubt the Enishans know we know about their plans. I'd like to know how much time we think we have before our retaliation. You have some time, Colonel, Zillard said. Nobody knows we attacked that base. How can they not know? Robin said. With all due respect to Special Forces, General, it's difficult to hide that sort of assault. The Anishans know they've lost contact with the base, Zillard said. When they investigate, what they're going to find is that a rocky chunk of comet the size of a football field hit the planet about ten clicks from the base, obliterating it and everything else in the immediate area. They can run all the tests they want. Nothing will show anything but evidence of a natural catastrophe. Because that's what it was. It just had a little help. Well, this is very pretty, 
Colonel Robin said, gesturing at what looked like a miniature light show on Lieutenant Harry Wilson's holographic display. But I don't know what you're showing me here. Is Charlie Boutin's soul, Wilson said. Robbins pulled himself away from the display and looked up at Wilson. I beg your pardon, he said. Wilson nodded toward the display. It's Charlie's soul, he repeated. Or more accurately, as a holographic representation of the dynamic electrical system that embodies the consciousness of Charles Boutin. Or a copy of it, anyway. I suppose if you want to be philosophical about it, you could argue whether this is Charlie's mind or his soul, but if what you say about Charlie is true, he's probably still got his wits about him. I'd say he's lost his soul. And here it is. I was told this sort of thing is impossible, Robin said. Without the brain, the pattern collapses. It's why we transfer consciousness the way we do, live body to live body. Well, I don't know that is why we transfer consciousness the way we do, Wilson said, since I think people would be a lot more resistant to letting a CDF technician suck their mind out of their skull if they knew it was just going to sit in computerized storage. Would you do it? Christ, no, Robin said. I nearly wet myself as it was when they transferred me over. My point exactly, Wilson said. Nevertheless, you're right. Up until this, he motioned at the hologram. We couldn't do it even if we wanted to. So how did Bhutan do it? Robbins asked. He cheated, of course, Wilson said. Before a year and a half ago, Charlie and everyone else had to work with human-derived technology, or whatever technology we could borrow or steal from other races. And most other races in our part of space have more or less the same level of technology as we do, because weaker races get kicked off their land and die off or get killed. But there's one species who is light years ahead of everyone else in the neighborhood. The Kansu, Robin said and pictured one in his mind, large, crab-like, and almost unknowably advanced. Right, said Wilson. The Kansu gave the R.A. some of their technology when the R.A. attacked our colony on Coral a couple of years back, and we stole it from them when we counterattacked. I was part of the team assigned to reverse-engineer the Kansu tech, and I can assure you that most of it we still don't understand, but one of the bits we could get our brains around we gave to Charlie to work with, to improve the consciousness transfer process. That's how I came to work with him. I taught him how to use this stuff. And as you can see, he's a quick study. Of course, it's easy to get things done when your tools improve. <laughs> with this, we went from banging rocks together to using a blowtorch. You didn't know anything about this, Robin said. No, Wilson said. Yeah, I've seen something like this. Charlie used the Kansu technology to refine the consciousness transfer process we have. We can create a buffer now that we couldn't before, which makes the transfer a lot less susceptible to failure on either end of the transfer. But he kept this trick to himself. I only found it after you told me to go looking through his personal work, which was a lucky thing since the machine I found this on was slated to be wiped and transferred to the CDF observatory. They want to see how well Kansu tech models the inside of a star. Robbins motioned to the hologram. I think this is a little more important. Wilson shrugged. It's actually not very useful in a general sense. You're choking, Robin said. We can store consciousness. Sure, and maybe that is useful, but you can't do much with it, Wilson said. How much do you know about the details of consciousness transfer? Some, Robin said. 
I'm not an expert. I was made the general's adjutant for my organizational skills, not for any science background. Okay, look, Wilson said. You noted it yourself. Without the brain, the pattern of consciousness usually collapses. That's because the consciousness is wholly dependent on the physical structure of the brain, and not just any brain. It's dependent on the brain in which it arose. Every pattern of consciousness is like a fingerprint. It's specific to that person, and it's specific right down to the genes. Wilson pointed to Robbins. Look at your body, Colonel. It's been deeply modified on a genetic level. You've got green skin and improved musculature and artificial blood that has several times the oxygen capacity of actual blood. You're a hybrid of your own personal genetics and genes engineered to extend your capabilities. So on a genetic level, you're not really you anymore, except for your brain. Your brain is entirely human and entirely based on your genes. Because if it wasn't, your consciousness couldn't transfer. Why? Robbins asked. Wilson grinned. I wish I could tell you. I'm passing along what Charlie and his lab crew told me. I'm just the electron pusher here. But I do know that it means that this... Wilson pointed to the hologram. Does you no good as it is because it needs a brain. And it needs Charlie's brain in order to tell you what it knows. And Charlie's brain has gone missing, along with the rest of them. Well, if this is no damn use to us, Robin said... I'd like to know why you had me come down here. I said it's not very useful in a general sense, Wilson said. But in a very specific sense, it could be quite useful. Lieutenant Wilson, Robin said, please get to the point. Consciousness isn't just a sense of identity. It's also knowledge and emotion and mental state, Wilson said, and motioned back to the hologram. This thing has the capacity to know and feel everything Charlie knew and felt right up to the moment he made this copy. I figure if you want to know what Charlie's up to and why, this is where you want to start. You just said we needed Bhutan's brain to access the consciousness, Robin said. It's not available to us. But his genes are, Wilson said. Charlie created a clone to serve his purposes, Colonel. I suggest you create one to serve yours. Clone Charles Boutin, General Matson said, and snorted, as if one wasn't bad enough. Matson, Robbins, and Zillard sat in the general's mess of Phoenix Station. Matson and Zillard were having a meal. Robbins was not. Technically speaking, the general's mess was open to all officers, as a practical matter, no one under the rank of general ever rate there, and lesser officers entered the mess only on the invitation of a general and rarely took more than a glass of water. Robbins wondered how this ridiculous protocol ever got started. He was hungry. The general's mess sat at the terminal of Phoenix Station's rotational axis and was surrounded by a single-shaped transparent crystal that comprised its walls and ceiling. It gave an astounding view of the planet Phoenix, which circled lazily overhead, taking up nearly the entire sky, a perfect blue and white jewel whose resemblance to Earth never failed to give Robbins a sharp jab in the homesickness centers of the brain. Leaving Earth was easy when one was seventy-five and the option was death of old age within a few increasingly short years, but once you left... You could never go back. The longer Robbins lived in the hostile universe the human colonies found themselves in, 
the more fondly he remembered the flabby but relatively carefree days of his fifties, sixties, and early seventies. Ignorance was bliss, or at the very least was more restful. Too late now, Robbins thought, and directed his attention back to Matson and Zillard. Lieutenant Wilson seems to think it's the best chance we have of understanding what was going on in Bhutan's head. In any event, it's better than what we have now, which is nothing. How does Lieutenant Wilson know that it's Bhutan's brainwave he's got in his machine? That's what I want to know, Matson said. Bhutan could have sampled someone else's consciousness. Shit, it could be his cat for all we know. The pattern is consistent with human consciousness, Robin said. We can tell that much because we transfer hundreds of consciousnesses every day. It's not a cat. It was a joke, Robbins, Matson said. But it still might not be Bhutan. It's possible it could be someone else, but it doesn't seem likely, Robbins said. No one else in Bhutan's lab knew he was working on this. There was no opportunity to sample anyone else's consciousness. It's not something you could take from someone without them noticing. Do we even know how to transfer it? General Zillard asked. Your Lieutenant Wilson said it was on a machine adapted from Kansu technology. Even if we want to use it, do we know how to do it? No, Robin said. Not yet. Wilson seems confident he can figure it out, but he's not an expert in consciousness transference. I am, Matson said. Or at least I've been in charge of the people who are, long enough to know about it. The process involves physical brains as well as the consciousness that's carried over. For this, we're down one brain. Not to mention there are ethical issues. Ethical issues? Robin said. He failed to keep the surprise out of his voice. Yes, Colonel, ethical issues, Matson said irritably. Believe it or not, I didn't mean to question your ethics, General, Robin said. Matson waved it away. Forget it. The point stands. The Colonial Union has a long-standing law against cloning non-CDF personnel, alive or dead, but especially alive. The only time we clone humans is to stuff people back into unmodified bodies after their term of service is done. Bhutan is a civilian and a colonist. Even if we wanted to, we can't legally clone him. Bhutan made a clone, Robin said. If it's all the same, we won't let the morals of a traitor guide us in this, Colonel, Matson said, irritated again. You could get a research dispensation from colonial law, Robin said. It's been done before. You've done it before. Now for something like this, Matson said. We get dispensations when we test weapon systems on uninhabited planets. Start messing with clones, and some of the more reactionary types get a twitch in their skulls. Something like this wouldn't even get out of committee. Bhutan's a key to whatever the RA and their allies have planned, Robin said. This might be a time to take a page from the U.S. Marines and beg forgiveness rather than ask permission. I admire your willingness to hoist the Jolly Roger, Colonel, Matson said. But you're not the one they'll shoot. We're not the only one. Zillard, who had been chewing a steak, swallowed and set down his utensils. We'll do it, he said. Pardon? Matson said. Give the consciousness pattern to Special Forces General, Zillard said, and give us Bhutan's genes. We'll use them to craft a Special Forces soldier. We use more than one set of genes to make every soldier. Technically, it won't be a clone. And if the consciousness doesn't take, it will make no difference. It'll just be another Special Forces soldier. There's nothing to lose. Except that if the consciousness does take, we'll have a Special Forces soldier with treason on his mind, Matson said. That doesn't sound appealing. We can prepare for that, 
Zillard said, and picked up his utensils again. You'll be using genes from a live person and a colonist, Robin said. My understanding was that special forces only took the genes from CDF volunteers who die before they can serve. That's why they're called the Ghost Brigades. Zillard looked up sharply at Robbins. I don't much like that name, Zillard said. The genes of dead CDF volunteers are one component, and typically we use the volunteer genes as the template, but Special Forces has a wider latitude in the genetic material we're able to use to build our soldiers. Given our mission for the CDF is almost a requirement. Anyway, Bhutan is legally dead. We've got a dead body with his genes in them, and we don't know that he is alive. Does he have any survivors? No, Matson said. He had a wife and kid, but they died before he did. No other family. Then there's no problem, Zillard said. After you're dead, your genes aren't yours anymore. We've used expired colonist genes before. I don't see why we can't do it again. I don't remember hearing this about how you build your people's eye, Matson said. We're quiet about what we do, General, Zillard said. You know that. He cut a piece of steak and speared it into his mouth. Robbins's stomach grumbled. Matson grunted, leaned back in his chair, and looked up at Phoenix, imperceptibly turning in the sky. Robbins followed his gaze and felt another pang of homesickness. Presently, Matson turned his attention back to Zillard. Bhutan is one of my people, he said. For better or worse, I can't pass the responsibility for this to you, Zai. Fine, Zillard said, and nodded to Robbins. Then let me borrow Robbins. He can act as your liaison, so military research will still have a hand in. We'll share information. We'll borrow the technician, too, Wilson. He can work with our technicians to integrate the Kansu technology. If it works, we have Charles Bhutan's memories and motivations and a way to prepare for this war. If it doesn't work... I have another Special Forces soldier. Waste not, want not. Matson looked over to Zillard, considering. You seem eager to do this, Zai, Matson said. Humans are moving toward war with three species who have allied together, Zillard said. That's never happened before. We could take on any one of them, but not all three at once. Special Forces have been told to stop this war before it starts. If this helps us to do that, we should do it. Try it, at the very least. Robbins, Matson said. Your thoughts? If General Zillard is correct, then doing this would get around the legal and ethical issues, Robbins said. That makes it worth a shot, and we'll still be in the loop. Robbins had his own personal set of worries about working with Special Forces technicians and soldiers, but it didn't seem the right time to air them. Matson, however, did not need to be so circumspect. Your boys and girls don't play well with normal types, General, Matson said. That's one reason why military research and special forces research don't work together much. Special forces are soldiers, first and last, Zillard said. They'll follow orders. We'll make it work. We've done it before. We had a regular CDF soldier take part in special forces missions at the Battle of Coral. If we can make that work, we can get technicians to work together without undue bloodshed. Matson tapped the table in front of him, pensively. Uh, how long will this take? he asked. We'll have to build a new template for this body, not just adapt previous genetics, Zillard said. I'd need to double-check with my techs, but they usually take a month to build from scratch. 
After that, it takes 16 weeks minimum to grow a body, and then whatever time we need to develop the process to transfer the consciousness. We can do that and grow the body at the same time. You can't make that go any faster, Matson said. We could make it go faster, Zillard said, but then you'd have a dead body, or worse. You know you can't rush body manufacture. Your own soldiers' bodies are grown on the same schedule, and I think you remember what happens when you rush that. Matson grimaced. Robbins, who had been Matson's liaison for only eighteen months, was reminded that Matson had been at this job for a very long time. No matter their working relationship, there were still gaps in Robbins's knowledge of his boss. Fine, Matson said. Take it. See if you can get anything out of it, but you watch him. I had my problems with Bhutan, but I never saw him as a traitor. He fooled me. He fooled everyone. You'll have Charles Bhutan's mind and one of your special forces bodies. God only knows what he could do with one of those. Agreed, Zillard said. If the transfer is a success, we'll know it sooner than later. If it's not, I know where I can put him. Just to be sure. Good, Matson said, and looked up again at Phoenix, circling in sky. Eh, Phoenix, he said, watching the world twirl above him. A reborn creature. Well, that's appropriate. A phoenix is supposed to rise up from the flames, you know. Let's just hope this reborn creature doesn't bring everything down in them. They all stared at the planet above them.